Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. You're listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. Covering Mississippi State sports like nobody else. With Sports Talk Mississippi's Brian Haydad and Robbie Falk of 24-7 Sports. Powered by Taylor Construction Equipment. Whether you're looking to rent, lease, buy, or for service, contact Taylor Construction Equipment today at taylorconstructionequipment.com. Now get ready for Thunder and Lightning. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad here with you for another special edition of the Thunder and Lightning podcast today. It is our SEC West compilation. I want to thank you guys for tuning in at supertalk.fm or wherever it is you get podcasts from. We appreciate all of y'all, our great listeners, especially our servicemen and women out there serving us. Earlier this week, we had the SEC East. Today, it's the SEC West. All of our previews uh, from our spring wraparound series we did over the past couple of months. One less interview, obviously. No Mississippi State preview in here. Uh, if you need Mississippi State football information, I would suggest you listen to the Thunder and Lightning podcast five days a week here at supertalk.fm or wherever it is that you get podcasts from. So uh, we'll start off with the uh, defending uh, SEC. No, 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 I guess we are. They aren't the defending. Ah, gosh, you sort of fall into old habits there. But we'll, we'll try to keep it here in alphabetical order. So we'll start off with the Alabama Crimson Tide, and we'll go from there. Let's jump into our spring wraparounds of the SEC West. So we'll start our wraparound of the SEC uh, spring practices with Alabama. We're just going alphabetically. I don't want anything to go to anybody's head. I don't want you know wondering why Alabama's first. I just went alphabetically. I don't want to hear from any uh, any Georgia fans wondering why we uh, we didn't go with them first. Alabama to me, I got Travis Ryer. I'm sorry, let me uh, didn't do the introduction. Travis Ryer from Bama Online. Uh, that's their 24/7 site. He's been covering the Tide for for a long, long time. Travis, when I look at this Alabama team. You know, I'm looking ahead to media days, and I'm thinking for the first time since I've been going there, I don't think I'm going to vote Alabama first in the West this year. I think I'm going to vote LSU first. I just feel like there's a lot of questions surrounding this Alabama team, more than there's been in recent years. Just looking at the spring, what are the questions they need to answer coming into this spring? Well, Brian, I think you're going to have company in that regard. I would be surprised if LSU isn't the preseason pick of the assembled media at 2023 SEC media days. But yeah, I mean, when you start at the quarterback position, if you wanted to just look at LSU's situation with Jaden Daniels coming back in Alabama in the market for a new starter post Bryce Young, then absolutely. Uh, that's a, that's as good a place to start as any. And, you know, a couple of guys, unlike some of the previous quarterbacks that we've seen step into that role, like Bryce Young, like Mac Jones, uh, maybe not the credentials going into it for either Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson, although as recruits, both were hotly uh, recruited and coveted and all those things, uh, but we just don't know much about either guy. Now, we do know that Jalen Milrow made a start in 2022 with Bryce out due to the shoulder injury. Uh, Jalen was in there against Texas A&M. It was uneven at best. He did throw three touchdown passes in that game. He did turn the ball over multiple times, so a bit hit and miss, uh, fair to say, in that start. Uh, Ty has got a lot of potential. Uh, He was a five-star recruit coming out of the state of Tennessee. So uh, I think he actually has the benefit of not being as exposed as much to this point to the fan base. It's almost like, well, Jalen didn't play well or didn't play consistently well against A&M. So we've already seen that guy get us to Ty Simpson. I think it's a legit competition ongoing 
right now. But yeah, I mean, across the board, offensive line, they've got a couple of vacancies to fill there. Uh, they need a true number one to step up at wide receiver. Didn't really have that a year ago. Uh, Jameer Gibbs moves on the NFL. Uh, they've got talent at the running back position, but defensively, really, right through the middle of that defense, both safeties, your starting nickelback, uh, and Brian Branch, who might be a first-round pick. you got a couple of inside linebackers that have moved on, some defensive linemen. So, yeah, you know, I think you can pick a spot for this team just about, Brian, and feel like you got some things to, to figure out. Well, let's go back to the quarterback battle because obviously that's what you know is probably going to make the biggest determination for what Alabama is this season. Two really different style of quarterbacks and a new offensive coordinator with Tommy Reese. Who fits better into what Reese wants to do offensively? And what happens to the loser of this battle? Are you looking at the transfer portal, or will they stick it out? You know, I think there's two camps to that. I think uh, there's some familiarity with Ty Simpson, maybe based on his recruitment a couple of years ago uh, with Tommy Reese. But, you know, as much as I hear from Alabama fans that, oh, Reese is going to come in, this is going to be a run-heavier approach with Reese, Um I would think that would work well for for really either of these guys, maybe even more so Jalen Milrow. I mean, if you want to dial this thing back to 2015 and ask Jalen Milrow to be Jake Coker, I think he can do that. Uh, if you want to go 2016 and what you had in Jalen Hurts as a true freshman uh, is a run option in that offense uh, that year. I think Jalen Milrow can very much do that. I think Ty can do a lot of those things too. So I don't really buy into this narrative that, Reese's arrival uh, fits one guy uh, better than the other. I think ultimately the reality is, yes, uh, Reese is, is going to bring some things from a run game perspective that this offense can certainly use or at least revisit from previous years in the Nick Saban era. And at the same time, there's still going to be throws and uh, a presence as a passer that's going to be uh, non-negotiable for the for the leading candidate, for the winner of this job. So I still think that's what it's going to come down to. I don't think this is going to be single-wing football. You know, this is still going to be 11 and 12 personnel and ultimately the guy who can take care of the football while also allowing Reese to access more of the playbook than the other guy is going to win the job. You mentioned something a second ago. You know, Alabama a season ago, they had playmakers, but they didn't have superstar playmakers the way they've had in the past, especially at that receiver position. You know, no Calvin Ridley, no Amari Cooper, no no, no Devontae Smith, anything like that. Just solid guys, but nobody that you just had to circle and say, don't let him beat you. Is there a guy like that for Alabama this year? And if not, you know, who who is going to have to step up and be that that number one receiver? Well, they bring back a couple of guys in Jermaine Burton and Ja'Cory Brooks that really both finished the 2022 season on high notes. I thought they were at their best uh, individually and collectively there uh, at the end of the season. So you're thinking there's going to be some carryover with both those guys, but there's some excitement about Malik Benson, number one college, junior college recruit for the 2023 cycle, uh, coming in uh, from Hutchinson Community College out there in the Jayhawk Conference. So he has those attributes of a legitimate number one receiver. In other words, you can put him on the outside and he can make defenses pay in some ways that maybe we've seen some previous Alabama receivers here uh, do that. So, yeah, I would say Benson, uh, but you've got some young receivers. You know, you invested some serious reps and some true freshmen last year. So Isaiah Bond, Kobe Prentice, uh, 
uh, Kendrick Law, some of those guys that you anticipate coming on as well. One of the big stories of Alabama's offseason, especially here in the state of Mississippi because of where he ended up, is Pete Golding uh, after a long run at Alabama, now at Ole Miss. Just what what were the – I can't get ever get a straight answer. It really does depend who you ask, I guess. But your thoughts on Pete Golding leaving Alabama for Ole Miss? Yeah, you know, I think it was time. And, and that's not a knock on Pete. I just think, you know, uh, you just haven't seen many guys – uh, stay in that spot for more than five or six years. Probably what Kirby, yeah, and that's about it. I mean, it's pretty much been interchangeable. And I think Pete was outstanding as a recruiter. I think that makes a, a lot of sense for Ole Miss because some of his work certainly happened right there in the state of Mississippi on the recruiting trail. I think somewhere in the middle with Pete. You know, I think there's people who feel like uh, he was unjustly criticized uh, more than once during his time at Alabama. There's some people that feel like uh you know he was just not a good good fit in that role I, I think Pete was fine um you know and I think you know as much as anything the concerns you had about last year was that was a veteran defense and it didn't live up to it really I mean when you think about the biggest moments of the 2022 season you know they just didn't get the job done in the fourth quarter of games against uh, LSU and in Tennessee and unfortunately fair or not uh, that's how you're kind of remembered. And penalties were such a big issue. That was a big surprise, I think, and probably even for Pete, because I, I know that, you know, in individual periods and fundamentally those things were being taught and uh, kind of emphasized uh, as the season wore on. But, you know, it wasn't just young players. Guys like Will Anderson had penalty issues throughout the season. And so how much do you lay at that of that? Do you lay at the feet of Pete Golding? I, I tend to say the players have to take some accountability and some ownership in that too, especially again, when we're talking about veteran guys like Alabama had on that side of the ball last year. So with this year's defense, Kevin Steele now in Tuscaloosa, a veteran defensive coordinator, got a lot of, of, you know, like you said, some, some newer faces, but there's some guys who have been back too. What do you expect from this unit in 2023? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because you've got some legitimate comp- uh, competition at a number of spots and you obviously have some building blocks a Mississippi guy in Jaheim Otis who has lost 100 pounds in a year uh, since making his way to Tuscaloosa I need to talk uh, to him geez yeah yeah we I, I don't I obviously don't go to the same gym or nutritionist <laughs> that Jaheim goes to um, I'm with you on that one Brian um, yeah. he he is uh, he has got a chance in year two to get Alabama back to more of what it received from Deron Payne and Quinnen Williams and guys that you see, you know, now at this point in their pro careers, inking those big extensions and all those guaranteed dollars. So, you know, he has that chance, I think, to be that kind of player. And they need that because for the last couple of three years, they really haven't had it. So uh, he could be that war daddy type right there in the middle of the defensive line. Uh, They've got some experienced guys up front. Uh, they've went to the transfer portal for some some guys at the linebacker position, Trez Marshall coming in from Georgia, and Justin Jefferson, another junior college product, this one from the Mississippi ranks, uh, they like a lot as a, as a mid-year enrollee who has a chance off the ball probably more so than in the middle to really impact things. But, you know, returning guys like Deontay Lawson, Dallas Turner on the outside, Chris Braswell on the outside, uh, there's a good mix there in that front seven. And then you get to the secondary, and again, I talked about safety and the nickelback position. 
Uh, you got a lot to replace there. Malachi Moore is a guy that has played a lot of football, both at more so at nickel and some at the dime and also a little bit at safety. So he's a building block there at the safety and sub package roles. And then you know, Kool-Aid McKinstry back at that one corner is a big help. And you know, maybe Terry and Arnold is ready to reassume that starting job that he lost to Eli Ricks there down the stretch of the 2022 season. But, you know, they've got 26 or so early enrollees. So uh, it's not just competition for two deep spots. Uh, with a lot of these guys, these guys have a chance uh, with an emphasis on defense too uh, to be able to really impact things. So you're the first interview in this series. We're going to do all uh, the, uh, other th- the other 13 teams in the conference. I'm going to ask this question of everybody we do an interview with. If I come back to you in November, how did this team do? Well, first of all, you can only go up from here, so that's a good starting point. <laughs> no, I got to get with, to Ole Miss uh, at some point. That'll be fun. oh, oh, I got you. Okay. Um, gosh, when we revisit this team in November, um, I think it will have beaten LSU. Uh, but I also won't be surprised if it drops a game in a in September, something it never does under Nick Saban. Maybe it drops a game even at home to Texas um, uh, in that second week. You know, that's that's going to be a, a critical matchup there. Um, I don't think Texas is going to go to Tuscaloosa feeling overwhelmed, especially after losing by just a point, again, to a more veteran and quarterback-driven team a year ago in Austin. So I I guess the point is I I won't be surprised by much. Um, I I think by the time November rolls around, Alabama will be playing its best football, unlike 2022 when it it seemed like as the season wore on. There were signs earlier in that season that kind of – uh, gave you reason for pause when thinking big picture. But, you know, I think once they get this quarterback thing sorted out and then, um, you know, get into some other areas as well, uh, they got a chance to be, you know, kind of that team we've we've grown to expect to see in November. But, uh, you know, like 2015 with the old Miss loss, right, in Tuscaloosa, mm-hmm. there could be that kind of hiccup early in the season. Please don't ever mention that game again. I I, I, <laughs> I nearly gave up on organized religion after that game. I'll just be honest with you. So, uh, well, I don't think you did. So, <laughs> Travis Ryer from twenty four seven BamaOnline Thank you so much for joining me here. That's great stuff, and uh, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Brian. Let's make our next stop here on the spring wraparound around the SEC. We're talking about the Arkansas Razorbacks today, which means we're talking to Trey Biddy from 247sports.com, who's been uh, covering the Hogs for quite a long time uh, over there. And Trey, Arkansas is a team last year that I was really high on. Uh, I predicted them second in the West at SEC Media Days. I really thought they were about to take a, a big step forward under uh, Sam Pittman, and it, it just didn't work out. Injuries and just a lot of other factors contributed to Arkansas not having that 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 takeoff season. Now they've got some changes offensively, defensively. You know, we we sort of knew that Bryles and and Odom at some point were gonna we're gonna leave for greener pastures. Odom is now a head coach. Bryles, I'm a little surprised took the TCU job, but that's another conversation. How where are they going to be more different this year, offensively or defensively at Arkansas? I think defensively, I think that would be the hope. I mean, offensively last year they were they were still pretty good. I mean, especially considered you didn't have KJ Jefferson for two games. Uh, he was really hobbled and probably shouldn't have played in another game. They lost all three of those. 
Um, injuries will get you. If you don't have a lot of depth in this conference, and Arkansas unfortunately didn't have a situation at quarterback where you look at the next guy and say that's that's the guy of the future. You know, they just didn't have that. So they really struggled when they didn't have K.J. Jefferson. Really got beat up badly on the back end and the secondary. Uh, you know, going in last year, you, you look at him and say, hey, they've got some pretty good depth there. And then they just get slammed with injuries and fast forward to <laughs> the end of the season and they've given up more passing yards than any other team in the entire country. So they needed some change. I know, you know, with with uh, Barry taking a, the UNLV job and, and Browse taking uh, the other job uh, to TCU. Uh, but, you know, on defensive, uh, defense especially, they just – they needed – they needed a change and they needed something uh, fresh to come in. And, and that's where they turned to Travis Williams at UCF. Uh, I, I'm really intrigued with Marcus Woodson also coming in from Florida state. You look back uh, the year before Marcus Woodson got to Florida state, they were one of the worst pass defenses in the nation. And last year they were fourth in the nation. Uh, so he led a dramatic turnaround as passing game uh, defensive coordinator uh, for Florida state and, Arkansas wants a piece of that. They, you know, any improvement uh, on on defense is is probably going to go a long way for them. But I think that's where you'll see most of the changes. Arkansas really ran a three two six look uh, primarily uh, under Barry Odom, and now you'll see them go more of an even front four two five. Probably going to be very aggressive. I think that's where you'll see a lot of change. But also on offense, it may be more nuanced. You know, it may just be how they run, you know, outside zone a, a little bit different, a little bit, you know, a, just a little change here and there. Um, but you could also see them get under center more. You could see more two tight end sets. Um, I'm, you know, I'm kind of talking myself into maybe you see more change on offense. But, um, you know, results-wise, you definitely need to see more changes on defense. Offensively, uh, you know, you, you'll, you'll take the results that they had last year and just, you know, if you can keep that pace, then – you should have a much better team. So then when you talk about this spring, what is the big focus for Arkansas defensively? Where is the spot where you, I mean, I know pass defense is probably the answer, but can you go more micro than that and say, where do they absolutely have to get better starting this spring? Well, they have to get better at safety. You know, the cornerback, they weren't in awful shape. You know, they, they actually had Quincy McAdoo starting at one of the corner spots last year, who was a true freshman wide receiver came to Arkansas as a four-star wide receiver. They moved him over just out of need. That just shows you how bad they were beaten up back there. And it also shows you, you know, they lost a lot of defensive backs to the transfer portal. Guys that couldn't beat out a freshman wide receiver that was moving over to the position and ended up starting the last four games. So, I mean, just because they lost a lot of guys, you know, it doesn't mean that they didn't need to lose a lot of guys. Uh, but, you know, at cornerback, I think they're in pretty good shape. It's just it's safety that I would say is a concern. Uh, I didn't think Jaden Johnson had a great season last year. I thought he took a step back. Malik Chavis has been up and down through his career. Hudson Clark moved over from corner to safety again out of necessity and actually ended up being better there. Um, you know, they brought in Al Walcott from Baylor, who was the second leading tackler there. Baylor had the second best pass defense in the Big 12. They also brought in Lorando Johnson from Baylor, who also started there at cornerback. Uh, I think that they're going to have to move some things around to get some of those corners over to safety probably because they have Dwight McLaughlin back, um, who was second in the SEC with four interceptions. Quincy McAdoo, who I just mentioned. Lorando Johnson, who started for Baylor last year, former four-star prospect. All three of those guys were former four-stars. Um, they got Jalen Braxton in, who was the top recruit in the class, a four-star. He's an early enrollee. Um, 
They've got uh, Ladarius Bishop, who was hurt all of last year, who started in 2021. He's finally healthy and working his way back in. And Jaheim Singletary's coming in, a former 2022 five-star recruit out of Georgia who hit the transfer portal. He's also coming in. So that seems like you're in pretty good shape, at least on paper, at cornerback, but the safety numbers aren't as good. I think Al Walcott will probably play nickel for him, about 6'2", 215. Um, but they got to find, they've got to get some help at safety. And uh, they've been, you know, spring is the time to audition people, and they've rotated guys in and out and tried different looks and stuff. But I really think this answer is going to come when they get Jaheim Singletary in and they, they, you know, maybe more in fall camp when they say, okay, how do we get our best five out there? Because safety and cornerback isn't all that different anymore. You don't see a lot of 215 pound safeties anymore they're more yeah. 200 you know and 6'2 200 or so is a good size safety well cornerback you don't see a lot of 5'9 five, 5'10 five, corners anymore they've they've all gotten bigger six foot six one six two 190 200 so they all kind of look the same and they actually treat that whole group the same they all go in the same meeting room Marcus Woodson isn't listed as a cornerback or safeties coach either is Duran Darren Wilson they're listed as secondary coaches they rotate around working with different groups um you know so that's going to be an interesting, you know, part of the puzzle, figuring that out on defense, who goes at safety, who stays at cornerback. And I still think numbers wise, they need to they need to attack the transfer portal when the when the portal window opens on April 15th, um, need to probably bring in a couple of more defensive backs, at least. I always say when you have a, a good quarterback, things can pretty much take care of themselves offensively. I think K.J. Jefferson right now, I mean, when we go to media days in July, it should be the first-team All-SEC quarterback. I think Rocket Sanders, right, the first team will be one of the first two first-team All-SEC running backs. I, I don't think I'm, I'm going out on a limb saying that's probably the best QB running back duo in the SEC. Is it the best in college football? Yeah, that would be interesting if you had uh, Rocket Sanders, uh, Quinshaw Junkins, KJ Jefferson, that's 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 a good chance that could be it. You know, Jaden Daniels might have some say in there too. Yeah. Um, but uh, sorry, what was your question? That, I would take that backfield in in, in yeah. all circumstances. Is is yeah. that are Jefferson and Sanders the best duo in college football? It's possible. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's it's, it's probably a good chance of that. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. Just run it through my head real quick. You know, whoever Jackson Dart and Quinshawn Judkins be yeah, pretty Dart, good. Dart not as good as Jefferson, in my opinion. And I don't. I don't think so either. Yeah, so I don't they, think they so either. And then you know, I mean, obviously, we don't know what they got at Alabama. Stroud has mm-hmm. gone from Ohio State. So, I mean, there's a real. There's, I mean, it feels like that's a real talking point there. And I'm. I'm, I'm I don't feel like yeah. I'm, I'm too far out on the limb. No, I don't. I don't think you are. And you know, the thing about Jefferson also is he brings legs into the equation. You know, he can. He could be a thousand yard rusher if he really wanted to, you know, uh, but he, he's going to re- at least run for 500 yards. And, you know, uh, 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 Rocket Sanders went for over 1,400 yards last year, only had like 65 yards in the last two games. He was hurt the bowl game, he only had three carries uh, in that one. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Arkansas's backfield's in pretty good shape with Jefferson, uh, Rocket Sanders. They've got two other really good backs in, uh, and uh, A.J. Green and Rashad DeBinion. Also, Dominic Johnson was uh, a really solid back for him two years ago, but uh, has had some ACL issues. They've got a four-star back in uh, Isaiah Agustave coming in from Florida, who's really well-regarded. And, you know, it's it. we'll see what happens up front on the offensive line. This is the first year on the offensive line that they haven't 
that they've had to experiment and figure out who goes where because they've always had at least four returning starters every year. Uh, so, But they've recruited extremely well. I mean, you would expect that from Sam Pittman to recruit well in the offensive line. They have brought some really big young men uh, in this program. And right now they're flip-flopping them and, you know, trying guys at different spots. You, you've got two guys back from last year who are both multi-year starters. But, you know, everywhere else, is it's, it's kind of a youth movement. Arkansas towards the bottom of the conference last year in sacks allowed. I think a lot of that, you know, when Jefferson w- was out, you know, they didn't have the same mobility back there. Even with with, with uh, oh god, I can't remember his name. It, it just went out of my head. Who is it? The, Malik Hornsby. Malik Hornsby. I played great yeah. at Mississippi State, but a lot of design runs with him, and then you know, not the same awareness in the pocket in the mm-hmm. passing game. Offensive line, you know, I, I would expect that to not be a struggle under Sam Pittman. Now, you feel like that's the guy who's really going to focus on that, but it was at times last year for Arkansas. Will they be better up front this year? I think they should be. I, I think that they, the guys, it's kind of been like the guys that they've had there have been older, established veteran players. And, um, you know, that's just the young guys that they brought in have been all very highly recruited massive i think if you took the last year's offensive line the backup group from last year that might have been the biggest offensive line in college football yeah. it was just a huge group you know you have devon manuel who's six eight six nine um you know he's he's battling over at the left tackle spot i, I could see them maybe moving brady latham from left guard where he started going on four years uh i could see them bumping him over to left tackle i feel like they're a little more guard heavy this year uh, but you've got Takias Crawford, who was very highly regarded, Marion Harris, very highly regarded, Andrew Shambly, very highly regarded, Patrick Kudis, uh, another guy that was very well regarded. I mean, like, they have not recruited, you know, projects on the offensive right. line or taken a flyer on a guy. It has been, you know, one real stud after another. And they've got – I would say there are probably eight or nine guys right now that are legitimately battling for starting jobs, like easily could start and and be solid player in the SEC. So they're they're in good shape. It's just guys aren't proven yet. All right, we're going to ask this question of everybody we talk to. This will be the last question. If I were we were doing this interview at the end of November, what what are we saying about Arkansas? What what would you what do you think the final product's going to look like? Yeah, well, I think there's a chance that they finish strong. I wonder about the way the schedule sets up for them. There is a stretch after the first three games uh, that are home games where they're not home for five weeks. And, I mean, it's like it's it's just kind of ridiculous that the schedule shaped up like that. They have a game in Arlington that kind of messes it up. And then after that, they, I think they get Mississippi State and Fayetteville and then a bye week. And then it's off to Florida, which they've played Florida – this will be four out of the last five trips, uh, four of the last five meetings against Florida that they've played in Gainesville. Sounds like State and Georgia. State hasn't State's played in Athens, I think, three of the last four. Yeah, because of the way because yeah. of new teams entering the conference and they yeah. have to redo the schedule and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's just it's bizarre. But uh, I think at the end, I think we'll probably say that they finished uh, strong, maybe hit a hiccup in the middle of the season. But uh, I, I think that they should absolutely – I mean, they should have won at least eight games last year. There's no yeah. excuse losing to Liberty. They shouldn't have played K.J. Jefferson in that game. Uh, but they didn't have a real good op- option for backup, you know, last year, and they do now. Uh, but I, I think eight wins is is a reasonable expectation for them next year and a strong finish. Sounds about right to me. So, All right, Trey Biddy, hogsports.com. It's the Arkansas 24-7 site. Always generous through time, man. Appreciate you uh, coming yep. on today. Appreciate you. Thanks. Have a good day. 
Let's head out to Auburn for our second uh, spring preview of the show. Nubias Wilborn covers him for the Tigers. One of my favorite interviews in all of the SEC. This is a guy who, who brings good information. Nubias, obviously, when you look at Auburn, Hugh Freeze coming in. You know, I, I remember Hugh Freeze's first year at Ole Miss, and he took over a team that was, I feel like, from a roster situation, was in a much worse shape than this Auburn team is. And he got them to a bowl in year one. I don't have, you know, I'm, I'm not saying Auburn's going to win nine, ten games this year, but I have pretty reasonably high expectations for this Auburn team. I think they'll be competitive. I think they can win seven or eight games. Just looking at them on the surface this spring, what do you see from them? I mean, it's really tough to gauge, right? Because the question you really got to ask if you're looking at Auburn, you're looking at this team, it really starts with the quarterback. Do they have what they believe to be is a viable quarterback that can win SEC football games? If the answer to that question is yes, then sure. We're talking about a team that, you know, you look at the start of the season, you look at starting out against UMass and Cal. I mean, you look at the schedule. I mean, it's possible that they could be a good ball club if they have a quarterback that they feel they could win SEC football games when it matters. If they don't have that, either on the roster or somewhere they can find in the portal, it could be a tough grind. It, it could be a really tough go. I mean, you know, you look at you look at this team, you think about you start with UMass, you start with Cal out there, you start with Samford before you get to Texas A&M, the fourth game. I mean, and then, of course, you play, you host Georgia, which is important. You don't have to go to Samford. You do have to go to Texas A&M, so you, you, you get a chance to get off to a good start, okay? At least 3-0 going to the Texas A&M game. Who knows what Texas, Texas A&M is going to look like, considering what they were last year. Um, Auburn beat them last year in the Cadillac game, of course, you know, that whole thing with Cadillac Williams being the head coach, first time at home, crazy environment. What is it going to be out there in college station? Who knows? You come back with Georgia, and then you get a bye before you uh, go to Baton Rouge, okay? So, in summary, it could be really interesting where this team got to a good start, or it could get ugly. I don't know which way because I don't know for certain if Auburn has a starting quarterback that's going to be a viable candidate to win games. Do you think Auburn's going to look into the portal again once the spring is over and everything opens back up? Or are they going to just go with Ashford or Finley and sort of hope Freeze can work some of the same magic he worked with Bo Wallace at Ole Miss? I mean, they're going to, I mean, they're going to look in the portal. Yeah, they're going to look in the portal. Now, whether they get something, I don't know. Because I don't – I mean, because how can you know who's going to be in the portal right now, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, there's so many camps going on. It's hard to keep up with what everybody's doing. I mean, and then, again, with a quarterback, I mean – if he's in the portal, he's in there for a reason, right? Like, Caleb Williams isn't going to go in the portal, is he? <laughs> I hope not. I, I hope mean, he doesn't end up at all for Jeez, at least. Then the, no, I'm just saying, one. I mean, Goodness. like, I'm just saying, like, typically speaking, if the guy's in the portal, especially after spring football, most likely he lost his position battle, right? I mean, mm-hmm. is, would that be a fair, a fair assessment to make for the most part? Yeah, absolutely. So is the guy who lost his position battle at, you know, another Power Five school, is he going to be better than Robbie Ashford or TJ Finley? I, I I don't know that answer, and that's the hard thing. 
you don't know. But is he going to look? Yeah, of course. I mean, he he has been very consistent in saying that. Hey, his his job is to always recruit somebody better than what's already on his team. So he's always going to be looking. He tells his players that he's very clear about that. He is the definition of ABC, always recruiting, and it's what it is. So he's going to look. Will he find what he's looking for? I don't know. I mean, hell, I mean, Auburn last year, Zach Calzada was in the portal. They got him. Thought that was going to be something. Never played it down. We saw it happen with Ashford, and then you had Finley in the portal, what, two years ago? And you saw what's happened with Finley. So how do you know? How many, and if you also look at it, okay, maybe the Slovis kid has done pretty well, but how many portal quarterbacks have you seen that get there, I guess, oddly enough, maybe one of the better ones has been Bo Nix, who left all. Yeah. So, Darnell Ole Miss was was okay. That like, was good last year, I thought. Right, right, right. That's what yeah. I'm saying. But, but you get what I'm saying, like, yeah, yeah, you, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, oh, Auburn is a team that you know, year in year out, you think of Auburn, you think of running backs. They've always had great ones. I love Jark West Hunter, a Mississippi kid, but he was part of a, a great duo with Tank Bigsby last year. Is he set up to be the main guy this year, or are they going to try to find a complimentary piece to go with him? Well, I think the thing is, uh, Hugh Freeze already said the other day, he said, hey, man, I think Jarquez Hunter might be the best running back I've coached. You know what wow. I'm saying? Yeah. And he said that publicly and put that on wax. So very, very strong statements about him, about um, my man Jarquez. And, yeah, I think he's going to be the guy. Um, they have this guy, this kid, Batty, out of USF. And let me tell you something. That team he was on last year wasn't any good, but that kid is a bad man small but exceptionally fast um he will be a, your home run hitter guy curious to see how damari austin grows up and then you get the uh freshman jeremiah cobb coming in so i think running back will be a a, a point of strength for auburn especially as that offensive line starts to gel together they definitely revamp that group I mean, I expect Auburn to have the ball on the ground quite a bit, and I think that it's going to be led by Hunter. And, yeah, I'm expecting a 1,000 yards at least from him this year. Auburn up front last year, not great. Uh, did, did not do a great job project, protecting their quarterbacks. You know, in the SEC, games are won and lost in the trenches. Do you think Auburn's improved on the offensive line this year? Well, yes, from what I've seen. Again, they went into the portal heavy. They went out and got three legitimate guys from – Mostly group of five guys, but good players from these schools. Gunnar Britton from West Kentucky. You got the Avery Jones kid from Tulsa who's a center, which also helps out a lot to be Wade. That helps out a lot because he played center under Philip Montgomery, who now is the Auburn offensive coordinator. Okay? And then you got Tutal, um, Xavion, the Juco kid. I mean, hey, man, they went out and got some talent to go across that offensive line, and I do think they're going to be better. Now, how they gel together, we will see, because you get guys learning different languages, different play calls, different schemes, different footwork and all that stuff, but I think with Jake Thornton as offensive line coach and what Hugh Freeze wants to do on offense, I think you'll see a significant improvement from offense online. On the other side of the ball, you know, Auburn is you know defensively through the years has always been a, a team that you know big plays, sacks, interceptions, turnovers. Towards the bottom of the league and all of those stats uh, a season ago, who on this defense can be a big play magnet? Especially now that the guy who was probably the most responsible for that, Derek Hall, is off to the NFL. 
Well, I mean, I think it's going to be a by committee situation because, yeah, I mean, when Patriot Derek Hall is tough, also losing Oa Popo on the offensive line, but I mean, you look at that secondary, they got some guys, right? As far as Donovan Kaufman, that whole crew, as far as how much Craig McDonald, those safeties and those corners, they're not deep there, but they're experienced. I am also very curious if Wesley Steiner can step it up a little bit and see how he continues to develop. Um, he seems to be a young man who is ready. Also, the kid Elijah McAllister, the Vanderbilt transfer. Okay, this guy was a two-time captain at Vanderbilt. Been around a lot, knows the SEC fairly well. Looking forward to seeing how he adjusts. So there's a lot of names that you will hear as time goes on. I think they're going to be improved on defense. I think they're going to be a more balanced defense than they've been previously. This is the question I'm asking everybody we do these previews of uh, at the end of these interviews here. Let's look back. Let's look ahead. You know, so pretend we're at the end of November. What are we saying about this Auburn team? that Hugh Freeze knows where he is. He knows what program he's coaching. Um, He has been able to adapt to the culture very quickly, and I think this will be an Auburn team that will surprise people. All right. I'm looking forward to seeing the Tigers this year with Hugh Freeze. I think, like I said, I think year one, transition year, can be good, but then next year, I'm going to have high expectations for the Tigers. We'll see how it all pans out for them. Nemias Wilborn, AL.com. And always appreciate you coming on with me. Thank you, man. We'll head down to the bayou today for our continuation of our spring wraparound. We're going out of alphabetical order. We'll do Kentucky tomorrow. You'll have to forgive me on that one. But Wilson Alexander joins us today, covers the Tigers for the Advocate uh, down there in Baton Rouge. Surprise! Surprising would be the word I would use for LSU last year. I wasn't really sure what to make of them in the preseason. Um, I wasn't, you know, really, really sure what to make of them after that loss to Florida State. But then they turn it around. They end up winning the SEC West. Are they prepared to take on the role of the hunted this year? Because, in my opinion, with all the questions that Alabama has, LSU is probably the favorite to repeat in the SEC West. They talk a lot about now sort of that change in mindset and being, you know, not the, not that they aren't, and not, the fact that they're not that team that's kind of coming up from behind. And LSU never maybe tr- really is because you know, having won three national championships in the last 20 years, uh, it's hard to really be the team that's hunting. But after having gone 11 12, you know, before in the two seasons before Brian Kelly got there, they kind of were. And so now that they've won the SEC West and they've got those 10 wins. Um, that is something that they sort of have acknowledged that they aren't in the same position than they were a year ago to be able to sneak up on anybody. They're going to be expected to play better. And so that, that's not how they're kind of treating this, this season is trying to take that next step and being able to be the team that's hunted by everybody. But, you know, LSU usually kind of is. That's the position they're used to being in. And now this program is just kind of back to that spot. But it's a little bit interesting because it's back to that spot for the first time under Brian Kelly and this team. You look at LSU's season from a year ago, you know, it was bookended by some really inexplicable losses. The Florida State, it was a game they should have won, and then to lose to that terrible Texas A&M team really put kind of a sour note on, on what had been a fantastic season. And even just as you look at the, look at their their games, you know, they had some games where they had to come from behind. Florida is one. Uh, they, they played Arkansas very close. Ole Miss was a game they were behind. Is, is consistency a big deal for LSU this offseason? Absolutely. When you look at 
uh, the charting out that season, like you said, they, they won 10 games, but it could have easily gone in a different direction. Um, they were really, they were behind at Auburn, um, on the road there. And they managed to squeak that out despite a really bad offensive day. Um, obviously the Tennessee loss, they got completely blown out of their own stadium. And, um, you know, like Arkansas, like you said, was a really tight road win. And so this could have gone in a different direction. Um, and so it's absolutely now about, you know, they were great at coming back in the second half last season, but now they have to be able to really control games start to finish. A lot of that has to do with a couple different areas. One is special teams. Special teams was their Achilles heel all season. They have to get a lot better on special teams. They have a new special teams coordinator and a new approach to coaching those groups. Um, and so we'll see kind of if that's effective. And then secondly is sort of expanding the offense and stretching it more downfield, having a more um, dangerous passing game um, that can take the pressure off of just, you know, sort of Jaden Daniels creating with his legs and becoming a more dynamic offense. That'll all lead to more consistency. And if that's the case, then LSU certainly will be deserving of being a favorite in the SEC West, and they'll be in the playoff hunt. Yeah, if you enjoy watching a player develop and you enjoy watching a guy progress through the season, then you enjoyed watching Jaden Daniels last year. You know, against uh, Florida State, he was not great. Against Mississippi State, you know, he made some big plays with his legs, but the, the passing plays weren't there. But as the season went on, he just got better and better. Is there another step for Jaden Daniels this year? Can he become, you know, an elite quarterback, a guy that the NFL would really want to look at in the first round next year? Yes, absolutely. Before the Southern game, or excuse me, after the Southern game, before the Mississippi State game, Brian Kelly said that there was a, there was a throw that he made where he rolled outside the pocket and he found a guy out uh, in the corner of the end zone for a touchdown. And he said, if we can see that more often from Jaden, then we're going to be a really good spot. And he started to see that more often from Jaden throughout the course of the season. But there was still, in particularly, against Florida, Ole Miss, and Alabama, and especially in the Florida and the Ole Miss games where he was just lighting them up. He, I think he had... Uh, six touchdowns in both of those games. Um, and you saw how dynamic he can be when he blends, you know, taking some downfield shots in the passing game and being aggressive as a passer with his running ability. And so now it's about being able to stretch those few games over the course of an entire season. He had the second most productive season by a quarterback in LSU history statistically. And yet it was there were still areas to grow. And so that's what can really make him an enticing quarterback and possibly the best returning quarterback in the SEC, and maybe when it's all said and done, actually the best quarterback in the SEC next season, is if he can take that development as a downfield passer, be more aggressive in the vertical game, push the ball downfield, and that's been a major focus for him this spring. LSU, you know, skill position-wise, always has superstars. And at the receiver position, I mean, obviously Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas are great players. I really like the, the tight end, Mason Taylor. Is there a running back, though, on this team that you feel like can, can be that typical LSU running back, a guy who can be close to 1,000 yards when the season's over? Probably not. This is going to be a running back by committee situation again, uh, most likely, I should say, you know, at this point of the year. Uh, that's where it's headed again like it was last season. Uh, they've got six scholarship running backs uh, on the team right now. And they used a committee approach last year, and they're likely to do so again. Brian Kelly, one of his lines that I kept coming back to last preseason was, quote, we don't have Leonard Fournette in that backfield. And that's certainly still the case because the personnel isn't that much different. They've added a couple freshmen, but they're still freshmen. And, um, you know, that's gonna, they, they probably aren't those sort of instant impact kind of players, um, especially in a room that is fairly deep. And so they're going to – you're probably not going to have anybody close to 1,000 yards – um, but there might be a bunch of guys that are sitting right around 500, uh, maybe closer to 600. Um, they've got 
a lot of different, you know, attributes at running back and different things that those guys can do. And while they're trying to make them a little bit more well-rounded as a whole, um, it's sort of about picking out when to, you know, ride a hot hand or when to use a certain player based on their strengths. And so that's how they're going to set it up. Is Harold Perkins the best defensive player in the SEC? I think so, especially with Jalen Carter and Williams I'm not gonna argue. moving on. Yeah, I think it's Harold. Um, I mean, watching him, there's nobody else in the SEC who demands your attention quite like Harold does because of his athleticism and his speed. It's a pleasure just to watch him play football and the way that he can chase down just about anybody, not just quarterbacks, but running backs and everybody else. I mean, he's he's so dynamic, and he might be even more so this year. Um, LSU is practicing him inside all spring. Um, he's still on third down going with the outside linebacker edge rushers um, because he's still going to be used on third downs as a pass rusher because he that's part of what made him so effective as a freshman. But they're trying to now expand him to being a true sort of complete linebacker and that they think is going to make it a lot harder for teams to game plan against him. They're not going to be able to just line up maybe a, a tight end or use a running back to chip or double team him off the edge. They, he's going to be – and he was already moved around the defensive front last year, but now it's coming from even more different – even more spots where he could be available um, because they think that he's you know taking that next step to being an inside linebacker. But he's still so dynamic as a pass rusher that their teams are going to have to account for that too. And I would say that, yeah, he's the best returning defensive player in the SEC. And we'll see how things shake out. But he could be the best defensive player in the country. Um, it's a long way to go, though. There's a lot of guys out there who, who will fight for that spot. But he's going to be right up there with them. How big is the return of Mason Smith for this LSU defense? Mason's presence inside opens up a lot for LSU. With B.J. or Jalari, the uh, Jack linebacker they had last year going on to the NFL, uh, Mason is – now sort of that second pass rusher along with Harold who that teams really have to account for and fear. And, but it brings it, it sort of structures it differently, I guess, on the defensive side in terms of how LSU is going to bring pressure with Mason uh, because Mason is a defensive tackle. He can split out to end and do a lot of different things, but he's more of a hand in the dirt defensive lineman. B.J. Jolari was a stand-up edge rusher in Matt House's defense. And so now um, he has an inside pass rush threat that LSU didn't really have last season. Makai Wingo was a third-team All-American, and then Jacob, excuse me, Jacqueline Roy uh, did some okay things um, as the as the nose guard, but they didn't have a really good pass rush from the inside. They couldn't collapse the pocket inside out. Well, now teams have to probably account for Mason Smith and Harold Perkins, and it's bringing pressure from two different areas that LSU didn't have last year, where it was really just off the edges last season. They can bring it more inside with just Mason Smith and not have to. You know, and still, and then it allows them to be even more creative. Matt House get even more multiple on the defensive front, and so he opens up a lot of things for LSU defensively. This is the question we've asked everybody we've interviewed throughout these these spring previews. What are we talking about in November with this team? Is LSU? Do you think LSU's back in the SEC championship game, or does Alabama get back on top there? Well, I guess going into November, it's uh, I actually posed a somewhat similar question. Do we think it, to some of our fellow beat writers over here earlier this spring, do we think the Alabama game is a top five game between LSU and Alabama? And most of us agreed it's probably not. The one of the teams is still just in the top ten. So, But I guess to actually answer your question, um, I would like to see more of Alabama and what they actually have at quarterback mm-hmm. and how these coordinators mesh before making a pick for what we see in November. But I think that that game, that LSU Alabama game in you know, November fourth in Tuscaloosa, is probably once again determining who represents the West, who actually ends up doing it, 
I'm going to have to reserve my pick because I just I, I can't say it at this point of the year with any confidence who would actually be. You know, there's and you also want to see more development out of Jaden and um, in the things that we've already talked about with LSU, um, but they should be right in the mix, um, probably with you know either undefeated or with only one loss by the Alabama game. LSU, if nothing else, always interesting down there in Baton Rouge. See what happens this season. Wilson Alexander from The Advocate. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Brian. Well, we've reached everyone's most anticipated team in our spring wraparound. Everyone loves to talk about Ole Miss. My friend Michael Borky from Sports Talk Mississippi has joined me to do exactly that. Let's just talk like a general overarching well, thing. First, first, first. Oh, is a first, okay. I need credit for showing up. I mean, you're here. I'm here. Your voice sounds fantastic. I I deserve credit for that because apparently that's hard to do. <laughs> We're recording this uh, about three hours before showtime of Monday, Sports Talk Mississippi. I'll just go ahead and let you in. You know I've got some jokes. They're coming. They're, that's Good. Coming. It's going to happen. Good. So just just be prepared. And, Sell and, my jokes and, when I make them. You gotta you gotta give me a little over the top. I, you know? I will because and what's funny, there are people that are. Like not taking the jokes well. It's not old Mrs. Fault, Morgan Wallen's uh <laughs> it's not um um uh, uh lost his voice. Lost his voice it's, yeah. it's 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 not their fault. So yeah. he's the jerk. I mean I drank all weekend and didn't lose my voice. I just yeah. I just will point that out. He's the uh, guy that lost his voice. But anyway, uh the returns on speaking of Mississippi State, uh a lot of people that I know that went loved Hardy. And I'm not being sarcastic. Yeah, yeah. I already put on a great show. So he, he'll be on that level soon enough. Like he's just in that tier below right now. Next year will be his time to jump to be the, the, the headliner. So, all right. Spring football at Ole Miss. Football. My question is this, this to start off. Is spring football harder at Ole Miss because of the constant influx of new faces? I mean, it's, it's, it becomes about building chemistry before you can even do anything else, doesn't it? Uh, let's put it this way, and and this is not chemistry building. This is more of just kind of the nature of it. I had to have the roster up watching the spring game just to, to look at numbers to figure yeah. out who these guys were, and yeah. that's, that's kind of it. I'm I'm curious to see how that goes this year because, you know, say what you want about Lane Kiffin and Auburn and all that, but it, it absolutely, to some degree, impacted the locker room to some level. Uh, mm-hmm. There were questions all season, last season, about locker room chemistry. And then you read quotes from Lane Kiffin about, it, and he was taking a shot at Hugh Freeze, about how other coaches preach family atmospheres. And he said, it's not a family. It's a football team. Our job's to win. I'm not I'm not your dad, and paraphrasing what he said. But he's right, and it's not a family. It is a football team. It's a cutthroat business. But shouldn't you try to sell that to your team to get them to come together and, and play together. I'd, I've wondered about the transfer portal working in terms of bringing in talent where Ole Miss otherwise could not bring in. I mean, how many times are they signing five-star wide receivers? They got one other in their history, and they brought one in from the transfer portal from Texas A&M. They can't do that very often. But chemistry is kind of a a thing here. And it's an underrated talking point. I think I don't hear enough Ole Miss people talking about that. There was a moment in the spring game where the aforementioned Texas A&M transfer, uh, one of his teammates scored a touchdown. And Lane Kiffin is actually on the broadcast talking to Richard reluctantly. He did not, <laughs> didn't want to. Well, but, but uh, Marshall did we, not go we celebrate. We sympathize, Lane. Marshall didn't go celebrate with his teammates. And, and Lane was like, oh, we, we – 
got to go talk to him about that. When your teammate, if it's not you, it doesn't matter. Your team scored. You go celebrate with them. That's the kind of stuff that they're having to deal with, which is just a little bit extra, at least you think it is, compared to a lot of other programs who are not bringing in this many guys from the portal. So let's talk about the main position there, the quarterback position. You and I have debated on, on Sports Talk Mississippi. We 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 don't un, I don't understand why Spencer Sanders is there at this point. It, it feels like it's going to be Dart. Walker Howard will back him up. It'll be his time to shine next year, I would imagine. This this quarterback battle, if if you will, I don't know if that's even the right word. You know how has it played out up there, and, and has Dart solidified his position enough at this point that you think he's the guy? I, I think so, and and I also think that people are putting way too much stock into what they saw in the, the spring game. Spencer Sanders completed passes, and he ran around a lot, and he looked good. He looked like a guy that's played and started four years uh, of Division One Power 5, if you want to call the Big 12 Power 5 uh, football. I mean, he looked like that guy, but also uh, Pete Golding had three calls, and they weren't allowed to tackle that that entire spring game was for show. That that was them putting on a show. That was not them like getting another look at their guys. Unlike what Alabama did this past weekend, that was I need to figure out what I have at quarterback. That is not how Ole Miss approached their spring game at all. All you hear is about Dart and his improvement. He's got a command of the locker room. He's got a command of the team. He he has gotten much better. His footwork's better. He's more comfortable. That's all you hear, and. I another underrated talking point recruiting Spencer Sanders was not difficult for them. And I don't know why people aren't talking about this enough. And, and it's in part because you don't want to talk about a college kid in this way. He didn't have very many options because of academic issues. And I think, I, I don't think it was grades. I think it was like coursework, but he didn't have very many options. Right. Re- recruiting him was not difficult. So it's not like they had to fight off a bunch of schools and he was promised a starting job because they didn't have to do those things. He didn't have very many options. I will be surprised, though, if all three quarterbacks are on roster this fall. I'd be shocked because if you're advising Spencer Sanders, there's an incumbent starter. It's his team and everybody knows it. He's improved and you've got one year left of eligibility. Are you really going to stick around to not play with your one year left when you've been a starter for four years. And maybe he can't go anywhere. Maybe the academic thing can't get figured out in a semester and he can't go anywhere. I, I don't know, but I know coaches make promises that, that they don't follow up on. But Walker Howard was told, you're the second team quarterback on this football team. And in 2024, it's your football team. He was told that in his recruiting process. It's why he went to Ole Miss. You got a year. And when that year's over, and by the way, you're going to be taking second team reps. You'll be preparing as the starter. If the starter gets hurt, you're in. If they're beating up on Mercer, you're you're playing. If they're beating up on what is it, Louisiana Monroe, you're playing. You're number two. And I don't know if you want to go back on that promise either, considering his talent and the the although he's transferred once, we know how the portal works. We know how that works. It's a mess. It feels like it's a mess. I would I still would be surprised if it's not Jackson Dart. I would be surprised if Spencer Sanders doesn't leave. But I'm with you. I I don't understand it now. I know it wasn't difficult to get him, but I'm still wondering if he stays, there's also a financial investment if he stays. Yeah. Feels like a waste of resources at that point. It's very confusing, and it's hard to talk about because it just feels like the thoughts are all over the place. But it's, It's odd. It's very unique. 
Quinchon Juggins, best running back in the SEC, maybe in college football. Incredible freshman season. I mean, and, and, and you know, when you look back at Ole Miss, and again, they brought in Zach Evans and Ulysses Bentley from the portal, and, you know, you had this Judkins kid that you heard all these good things about, and then he turned into a superstar. But he had that duo with Evans. People forget last year Evans was nearly at 1,000 yards when the season ended. Is Bentley going to be able to be a similar one-two punch guy, or is there another diamond in the rough that they're sitting on? I, I don't know if there's another diamond in the rough, but they need him to. They need him to be that guy. Uh, we haven't gotten a good look at him. I mean, last season we, we spent so much time talking about how bad the schedule was at the beginning for for a good reason. Uh, Ole Miss's schedule was not difficult, and he was taking third team running back reps. And and yes, you know he looked good in, in his limited game action, but. I mean, the the toughest team he played last year was Georgia Tech, who fired their coach. I mean, I mean, how do we know how good he can actually be at this level? He's healthy now, and in the spring game where they weren't allowed to tackle and the defense was as basic as it could possibly be, he looked explosive. Uh, but will that translate when they're in Tuscaloosa, uh, when they're in Athens, when LSU's in town? You know, it, will, will it translate there? I, I don't know, but. You can't have games where you're giving Judkins 30 carries uh, this season for a lot of reasons. I mean, you, you want to protect him for himself. Uh, you want to protect his body for his pro prospects. You, you, There's a lot of things you want to keep him happy and healthy because there's going to be another round of tampering that comes after this season. There's a lot of reasons you don't want to give him 30 carries a game. And they, they need Bentley to be that guy because if he's not, the other option's a true freshman. And there's not true freshmen like Judkins very often. Shouldn't be. No. Uh, at the receiver position, you know, Jonathan Mingo gone, Malik Heath gone. Those were the two big targets for Ole Miss last year. Is it all on transfers here, or is there a returning guy that could make an impact and be that the number one receiver? If you want to call Watkins, Jordan Watkins, a returning guy, you can. He also is a transfer, but he's been in the program for more uh, than just a few months. Uh, he's back. He's healthy. Uh, underrated player on that team last year. Uh, so that would be a guy that I would look at in terms of returning guys. Apparently, Jalen Knox, stop me if you've heard this before, another transfer, but has been in the program for uh, more than just a few months as well. He, he came from Missouri two years ago. Uh, they, they really like what he's been able to do now that he's healthy. But, I, I mean, when you look at this, Dayton Wade is a walk-on, but he came from somewhere else. Every receiver that I think is going to contribute for Ole Miss this season and a high level is a transfer at some point. Again, Watkins returns from last year's team. Knox returns from last year's team, but they were both transfers. And for some reason, recruiting high school receivers and making them impactful has not been a thing that they've done at all yet. Because Mingo's not a, a Kiffin guy. This is the question that determines you know, what Ole Miss is this year. So it's just, this is as simple as I can make it. It's almost going to be better defensively. Because if they're not, it's going to be a long year for Ole Miss. And I, I don't know that people are willing to accept that. And that's going to be my next question. But they have to be better defensively this year. And I mean, they've had the one year, 2021, where they were pretty good defensively is a huge outlier of basically the past six, seven years. Well, and it took them six weeks to be good that year. Right? Yeah. I mean, remember Arkansas just up and down the field, up and that's down true. the field, that's up true. and down the field. What was it 51 points and they went for two to win the game? I mean, that's even the good year. That's where they were. 
Um, and that's the million dollar question, right? I, I have no idea what a Pete Golding defense is going to look like. I think in part they're they're not sure what kind of personnel they're going to have to to be as multiple as they'd like to be. Um, the the dependence on the portal is going to be pretty strong in this cycle as well, and that can be a good thing, but it also can be concerning. They need defensive line help. How many SEC caliber impact defensive linemen are in the transfer portal? I, how many? I mean, maybe there's a good bit. It's just those those guys are hard to come by. I mean, you like the starters. At least I think they should. Uh, Harris, the NC State transfer, looks phenomenal on the inside, really explosive and physical and big. But after you look at the first four defensive linemen, you have to think to yourself, wait, who's that guy? Who's Demarcus Smith? Who Who is that? I, I, I don't know. I've never seen him play. Who's J.J. Hawkins? I, I don't know. I haven't seen him play. It's it's starters and then nobody. And it's the same thing at linebacker. I mean, they brought in a couple of transfers. There's two that you've seen play at Ole Miss before and then the two transfers. And then, I mean, who's Tyler Banks? Who's Jameer? Who are these people? I can't tell you because I've never seen them play. The depth is of huge concern. The The portal players have to hit and they have to be healthy. I mean, Troy Brown last year got hurt, and then what were they at linebacker? They they weren't particularly good, and it it looks like it's shaping up to have the identical problem here. So uh, back into the defense should be okay. Uh, There's a lot of experienced players there. But, man, I I mean, there's no way to know even who they're going to have on this team considering what they need to add in this second portal window. And then those guys have to move to Oxford, get acclimated with the team, and then learn the system and play. There's a chance that defensively they're they're kind of a mess in year one. Especially let Cedric Johnson get hurt again, and then I it's it's a mess. That side of the ball right now is a mess with personnel. It, it's an absolute mess compared to what it should be. So last year I took a little heat because I said I predicted Ole Miss to go seven and five prior to the season. I was a game off. I had them losing to Kentucky. I was way off on my Kentucky prediction. I'll, I'll take I'll take the bullet for that one. Well, they did strip Will Levis when they were driving to score to to win that game. That, that was probably the best game defensively Ole Miss played all year. Um, this year, I mean, you look at that schedule; it's tougher. You know, the, you replace Kentucky with a trip to Georgia. The SEC West is is still where it is. A and M could be better. Auburn could be better. Mississippi State, you got to come to Starkville. I mean, seven and five sounds about right. Where I'm sitting today, we'll, we'll see where I get in July. Now paying Kiffin nine million a year, are Ole Miss fans going to accept seven and five? No, 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 no they would not. That's simple. Um, All right. No, they wouldn't, uh, especially after the debacle uh, at the end of last season and and everything that came with that. But no, uh, they would not accept that. Uh, it, the, you know, there's a chance that they're better than that, I suppose, but. Until they beat Alabama, I won't think they will. They have to go to Athens. So there's two losses, right? There's 12 games. There's two what I would call auto losses. So you've got yeah. 10 games. I, I do think with because of the schedule, if they get to eight, if they beat Mississippi State, for example, and get to eight, people won't like jump through hoops. But yeah. it, that's fine. They'll accept that. To get there, then, you have to go eight and two in your remaining 10 games. Well, you've got your four non-conference games. that They'll be a favorite in each of them. It's still Georgia Tech. I know they have to go to Tulane, but they lost everything. So if you win those four and you also get Vanderbilt, 
That's just about five. So you'll be favored in those. So if you can win those five, then it's three and two for your remaining games, which is Texas A&M, LSU, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Auburn. Can they go three and two in those five games? There, that, there, there's your April schedule thought. Can they go three yeah. and two in those five games? If that answer is yes, then they're going to win eight games. If that answer is no, then they're not. Simple as that. We shall see. Obviously, a lot more Mississippi State and Ole Miss talk to come on Sports Talk Mississippi. Uh, well, especially, especially because uh, the baseball teams. Um, we're gonna have to. Hey, I told my listeners that we are we are diving into college football on Thunder and Summer Atlanta. of football. All right, we'll hit Missouri later this week uh, for the next part of today's uh, of the spring back around. Michael Borky, Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Talk to you later. Yeah, in like three hours. <laughs> Let's head to Texas A&M for one of our final stops here on our spring wraparound. We're talking to Travis Brown, who covers the Aggies for the Brian. I should be able to say Brian, you would think. Brian College Station uh, Eagle. And Travis, there's just no getting around the fact that Texas A&M a season ago was the most disappointing team in the conference. Uh, a preseason uh, top 10 team uh, that finished a 5-7 and seven record, didn't make a, a bowl game. The big splash for the Aggies this offseason is bringing in Bobby Petrino as the offensive coordinator. When he's d- doing his work, that's one of the best offensive play callers in college football. So my question is, and I think it's the question a lot of people are asking, is Jimbo Fisher going to be able to relinquish that control and allow Bobby Petrino to be the offensive coordinator calling the plays? I mean, that is the the $100,000 question for the season, isn't it? I, it's I a think $95 from there, million dollar question. Well, that's, yeah, that's true. Uh I think that every indication that we saw through spring practice was that um, that 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 process is seemingly taking place. You know, years past spring or full uh, spring or fall practice that we've been able to see a few minutes of um, Jimbo Fisher has been right there involved with anything the quarterbacks are doing, uh, anything with the offense, wide receivers getting in people's faces, whatever. And, and this year, he he took a step back and he was. Um, a lot quieter, a lot more observational uh, when Bobby Petrino was leading those drills that normally he would have led. So from from the little bit, it, it's hard to tell anything in spring game because the the play calling and everything is so vanilla that uh, you 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 don't really know what's going on or what's changed or anything like that. But the, the small indications are that um, that it does seem like at least a little bit in practice that that process has started now if a&m gets a couple of games into the season and um things aren't going well that that's going to be really interesting to see how how he handles that but um yeah it, it, it seems like that's the way things are rolling so far at least i like what what a&m brings back at quarterback i think wigman showed you last year that he can be a a guy that can be a future star in this league i like the receivers the texas a&m has had you know obviously they've recruited very well there but i thought uh, Devon A. Chain last year was maybe the most explosive playmaker in the SEC, a guy that I, I felt AM underutilized. Who is going to replace him in that Aggie backfield this year? I think the veteran guys you have coming back, uh, Amari Daniels, uh, Le'Veon Moss, those are some of the guys that'll um, probably step up and get a bulk of the carries. But then they have the freshman Reuben Owen coming, Reuben Owens coming in that um, has a little bit of that burst and, and maybe home run playmaking ability like Devon A. Chain had. So wouldn't be surprised if you saw him a little bit in the mix as well. It's probably going to be as much of a 
running back by committee, I would think, as you've seen under Jimbo Fisher, or really as you've seen from Texas A&M over the last uh, several years, because they've had um, a bell cow pretty much, uh, you know, since maybe they shared between Travion Williams and Keith Ford a while back. But even then, they might have three guys that can go right now. So it will be interesting to see how those guys uh, divvy up reps and um, who maybe takes the, the majority of those carries. Defensively, it feels like a broken record. I know there's plenty of talent over there. They've recruited some great, some great players, especially on that defensive front. They were just very inconsistent uh, a season ago. Can they put that together? Can this be a top five in the SEC, a top twenty nationally defense for Texas A&M? Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they uh, replace, adjust, and and find some depth at linebacker. I, I, last year it was easy to, to lean back and say, well, yeah, they had a, a great, a, a, at times, the the top pass defense in the country. But you also have to look at the fact that their run defense was so bad that teams didn't have to pass against them. And so, of course, their numbers were going to give you, I mean, you, case in point, a really bad Auburn team didn't attempt its first pass of the game until like there was a minute left in the first yeah. half because they just didn't need to run them. That's not saying that they didn't have some great talent in the defensive secondary and they, that they are going to have returned some great talent defensive secondary, but they got to get better at run stopping uh, and get a little bit better at the pass rush as well for it to really truly step up and be uh, a good solid defense. But I think the, the pieces are there. And especially if you look at the defensive um, linemen that they bring back with a little bit more experience, I mean, it's, it's extremely deep. Um, that'll, that'll be interesting to see how that all comes together. You look at the A&M schedule, and I mean, three the first three weeks you have your non-conference games. Obviously, one of them is a trip to Miami, and that will be you know a, a bit of a test. But I thought A&M defensively, especially, handled Miami pretty easily a season ago. But then Auburn, Arkansas, Alabama, Tennessee, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Mississippi State before you get the uh, game against Abilene Christian uh, in Week Twelve. That is an incredibly brutal stretch. Is this A&M team built to hold up for for that kind of stretch of conference play? Um, that's, that, that, that is the question. Uh, I, I, I think it's going to be a better, uh, team to, to kind of withstand that test than they did last year. You know, it wasn't maybe as, um, brutal as far as how, you know, the teams are playing, but last year they were away from home, uh, for five straight games with how the schedule went and were just traveling every other week. And so I think they have a little bit of experience of, of being on the road, going against some uh, adversity in that, and and they'll be better off for that this year. Um, but I, I I think it just comes down to what is it that they're putting on the field because you know if they continue to struggle offensively and can't put points on the board, um, then that's going to be a by by week two of that it's going to be a beatdown, and it'll be interesting to see how they can bounce back from that. But um, yeah, you know, I, I think if they can put points on the board, stay in games, it'll it'll be easier. Um, it'll at least be a, a little bit less mentally taxing than it was maybe some of the string that they put together last year. We mentioned the $95 million question, or maybe that number has gone down a little bit, but we have to ask, what happens if? What happens if this is another underachieving season for Texas A&M? I mean, I think there would be a lot more rumblings on saying that they needed to and wanted to move on from Jimbo Fisher. But I, I mean, it would still be in the uh, 80 millions, upper 70s range to try to get rid of him. And I don't think that 
I, 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 what is the return of inv- return on investment there? Yeah. Because yes, you're paying uh, an exorbitant amount of money to to move on, but that's not guaranteed. You're not paying that money to guarantee that it's going to be a better uh, with whoever you bring in next. So I, I just don't think that you you that's too much money. You're you're not necessarily going to get any reinter- return on investment back. You you probably have to write them out at least one more year. Get it somewhat more manageable before you uh move on but you you never know with with donors and money and everything that goes these days but i i i I still don't think that i still think he's safe this year even if things go turn turn sideways because of just how much money that is i always make the same joke you know we're gonna go to the pump one day and gas will be five dollars a gallon you'll know well they had to buy out jimbo fisher so they they had to do something (laughs) I, i get it Last question, and this is the one we've asked everybody who's done these interviews with us this spring. Uh, when we get to the end of the season, when after the A&M LSU game, what are we saying about Texas A&M uh, this season? I, I, I think you you do see an offense that's improved, um, I, but I think that it'll the, the real question mark is it goes back to exactly the first question that you ask is what was the dynamic between Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino? You know, was it uh, a you know uh, a peaceful harmony between the two that worked well and they coasted into a really good season and, and maybe a win over LSU or was it uh, contentious and was it a power struggle trying to uh, Jimbo not relinquishing uh, some of those duties that that he had and if that's the case it, it's probably not going to be good I, I, for, for me personally I, I've said, said that this new partnership between the two of them is either going to work uh, swimmingly or it's going to be at the biggest dumpster fire ever. Ever, I don't think there's a middle ground there. I think it's going to go one of two ways, and I haven't necessarily decided what I think that's going to look like. But it's it's going to be a, a binary. It's going to be on one of the polls, and, and it'll be interesting to see uh, exactly how that turns out. We are very interested to see it because Texas A&M, good or bad, the drama is always great out of College Station. We'll see what happens in 2023. Travis Brown, appreciate your time, man. Really good stuff. Anytime. Want to thank everybody who participated uh, with us in the SEC West part portion of the spring wraparound. Uh, Trey Biddy over at Hogs twenty four seven, Nubias Wilborn from AL.com. Uh, Travis Rear from uh, uh, sorry Bama twenty four seven, Wilson Alexander from the uh, the Advocate down there in Baton Rouge, Travis Brown from the Bryan College Station Eagle, and even Michael Borky from Sports Talk Mississippi. Appreciate those guys and everything they did for us. Great interviews, uh, great information uh, as we get closer and closer to the start of college football season. Hope you guys enjoyed these two compilations uh, we did put out this week. And, of course, there will be a lot more great college football content coming your way all summer long on Thunder and Lightning. Thanks so much for tuning in to the special edition of Thunder and Lightning. Mississippi Media Production.